This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, where am I? There I am. I am right there. Hey, how are you? Welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the lovely Mary Goulet. Welcome back, Mary Goulet. Thank How you. are you? Doing well, hey, Richard. Richie Hello. Rich in the house. Richie Ote, what's going on, my friend? Life is good. Good, good. White Wade's got it under control in the studio. Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters. And we are continuing a very interesting discussion here. This would actually be part four of our discussion here around reinventing homelessness. And it's... um. It's been eye-opening. I, I mean, I just don't, I don't know what other, how else to describe it, but it's really been an eye-opening few weeks, and then we'll continue the discussion here with Allison Hurst uh, of Safe Place for Youth. And, uh, and, and uh, geez, I mean, what they're doing for the youth is nothing short of uh, admirable, uh, amazing, uh, and needed, right? And so I'm just super excited to have Allison join us as well, but... Uh, I will say this, which is the uh, the conversation around homelessness. Uh, at least we're doing our part. I think we're doing our part here in terms of getting folks to have a dialogue about it, right? I mean, I think that's really the first step in all of this is just getting people to talk about it. And uh, obviously with people like Allison and, and um, Rios and, and Brian and the other guests that we've had uh, over the last couple of weeks here talking about this, this issue, there are people who are doing a lot more out there than just talking about. It. I must admit that I'm, I feel like I'm late to the party. Like clearly, there are folks out there who are doing uh, as much as they possibly can for for the homeless, and uh, and here I am, uh, just kind of late to the party, just trying to create awareness. But I guess we all have to do our part when we can do our part. So often, when when people ask me uh, around the discussion of you know what's the what's the first step and how do you help people discover their what, right? I'd say that the first step in all of this is really just turning the light switch on. Like, you literally have to make a commitment to discovering what you or what is. Same thing here is you just have to literally make a, a commitment to not being blind to what's going on on your streets and not being, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, just being complacent, you know, and, and just creating that awareness and turning the light switch on. Right, I think really is the first step. Yes, Wade, you're already out of your chair. Yeah, look, no, I just I love this. And so what lessons have you learned over the past three episodes? Uh, well, let's do a recap at the end of this okay. one. And let's let's talk about some of those things that we have uh, have learned. I think it's a great way to, to, to wrap here as we close out our our first series. And I, and I will just simply say that, that this is our first series on reinventing homelessness because I do very much want to do this again. Uh, and so, yeah, let's talk about what we've all learned here uh, as we can at the end of uh, today's conversation. But let, let's jump straight into it because Allison is a very busy woman who is doing amazing work in the world. So, Allison from Safe Place for Youth, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, the The day started very early at the Westside Coalition's Success Breakfast, yearly annual Success Breakfast, where folks that had moved out of homelessness spoke about um, their journey. So it was an emotional, um, amazing, inspiring morning for me. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to, to, to be invited to share 
and yeah. about our work. Well, thanks for, for joining us here. And, and just so I'm clear, is this like your yearly fundraiser? Is this like the biggest thing that you guys do? Is this breakfast? Is this an ongoing thing? I, what, just, I just want to make sure I'm clear on, on exactly what the event was this morning. So um, the Westside Coalition is a collaborative of um, government agencies, nonprofits, um, community members that gather monthly to discuss issues around um, hunger, health, and um, homelessness. Mm -hmm. And every year we do, um, and it's been going for 25 years or something, and, 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 and this morning was the annual success breakfast. So mm. I'm one of, Faith Place for Youth is one of many agencies that participate and nominate um, folks that have, 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 have come to, our, to us for services and have moved out of homelessness, and we all gather in this large ballroom at the Lowe's Hotel and, and really celebrate, you know, the human spirit. Yeah. It's an amazing event. Yeah, what what accent am I picking up? Where are you from? England. I might be, I'm from the north. I forget that I have an accent, but I'm from the north of England, uh-huh. a, a small town called Newcastle. Gotcha. And so you're based in LA now, is that is that correct? I am. I've been here for um, over 16 years now. And we haven't actually had a, a global perspective uh, on on the homelessness issue. Is is homelessness also an issue uh, in the UK in, in England specifically? What what can you bring a little bit of, uh, of global perspective to it since you, since you uh, obviously have uh, knowledge of, of what's been going on in, uh, in that part of the world? Well, to be honest with you, I actually don't know a lot about what's going on in the U.K. because when I moved from the U.K., UK I was a garden designer, so I uh, literally have no idea other than when I go home. Now, clearly, because I have this different lens, I look and I know that um, it's, it's becoming um, an increasingly a problem in the UK as well, mm-hmm. as um, you know, the safety net is being removed as as shifts in governments happen, and um, you know, um, uh, public housing uh, is becoming less accessible. Um, the, I know the numbers have increased, but I actually don't know yeah. a tremendous about uh, about how or what's going on in the UK. Yeah, no worries. Okay, so let, mm-hmm. let me let me just kind of set the stage here. Then, so 16 years ago. You came to, uh, we don't have to get into too much of the story there, but somehow you ended up in L.A., and, and I'm trying to just understand and connect the dots here. How did you then become involved with this, the, the homeless community and, and doing the work through Safe Place for Youth and, and, and just connect the dots for us there in terms of how you got involved in this world? Um, yeah, it's, it's always good to kind of pause and think about that. And it's, it's, it, it, it sho- it's so surprising and shocking to me how it all happened. But I moved here, um, as I said, just over 16 years ago and um, was really quite shocked and appalled by what I was seeing in my community. I lived near Venice Beach and I would mm-hmm. go to the beach with my own kids who were kind of middle school age at the time. And I'd see all of these other kids hanging out around the skate park and on the grassy areas and on the boardwalk. And, and I kind of, I, I didn't really quite understand what was going on. And I started to dive a little bit deeper and, and, and realized that these kids were literally homeless. And I, I'd never seen that in the community that I lived in London before I moved to... Um, Wait, but did you, Alison, I'm sorry, did you figure that out by, did you actually begin having conversations with them? I mean, you just see some kids skating around, kind of hanging out. How, how did you make the connection then that they were actually homeless? 
Yeah, I, I chatted to a few of the kids, and I realized that they were literally homeless. And then, and then I started um, researching like what was happening on um, uh, in our county, in our in our in the city, in, in Venice Beach, and realized that this was, you know, it was a, it was really bad in Venice, but it was really bad elsewhere in the county, and really, really like a major issue right across the country. So I just was, and then, and I was really shocked by. That, that really very few resources existed and next to no resources existed at that time on the west side of L.A. There were, yeah. there were resources in Hollywood, it was, um, but, but not on the west side and certainly not located directly in Venice. Mm-hmm. And, and you were working a, a day job at this point. You came over from the U.K. You were, you were still in the, the world of horticulture or something of that nature. I just want to yeah. make sure. Yeah. Yeah, I was a garden designer, and, you know, I was just self-employed garden designer um, doing residential gardens and, and just started um, handing out food packs on the boardwalk um, with a bunch of volunteers and, you know, just kept growing and growing and, and, and became, I became more like, obsessed by this issue. And, and the more I discovered, the more I realized you know, how little was being done and how few resources were being directed toward young unhoused um, individuals. I've just, I've be, mm-hmm. I continued, and even to this day, I'm still appalled and shocked as, as to the level of resources that are um, directed mm-hmm. towards young people. You know, it, it is interesting, right? I mean, I'm kind of reading between the lines here, but if you're a garden designer, you're kind of in that whole horticultural type space. I mean, there's really only so many types of folks who can afford your services. So you're probably working on uh, some high-end, let's just say, real estate development projects, or you're working on higher-end homes in the Hollywood Hills or, you know, something of that nature, right? So you've got to have this unbelievable mm, dichotomy. It's got to be just a, a huge disconnect for you in terms of, look, I'm making all this money doing this for all of these people who have so much, and now I'm just seeing everything that's going on for people who have absolutely nothing. You you were really playing in in both worlds. You bring up a very very good point. I think I wasn't even aware of it at the time, and I have to remind myself now. But the the juxtaposition of the wealth that I was seeing in the garden design world, and and compared to the what I was hearing from the young people. You know, I was I would I would do gardens on properties that literally could house you know, 50 people. Mm-hmm. It's it just shocking to me yeah. that, um, that, and, you know, the truth of it is, there are, there is enough wealth in this city to end this now, this misery. There is enough wealth and philanthropy. And it's really about having people really think that this is the most important, just outrageous, tragedy right before our eyes mm-hmm. and have people realize that they can all be part of the solution. I feel like people turn a blind eye because they're overwhelmed with the enormity of the issue. When if everybody decided that it was unacceptable, that we could literally together end this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think the fact that you added in at the very beginning, you said health, hunger, and homelessness adding those health and hunger into the mix seems like it complicates it, but I think it makes it actually better because it, it, all of a sudden you're looking at it from a different angle. People tend, I think, to think of homeless, at least prior to doing this series, they tended to lump them in one big clump, you know, 
hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But the more we do this, we realize there's a lot of different segments. Some of them, they're leaving abusive situations. Some of them, it was just a paycheck thing. Some of them, it's mental. Some of, you know, just very, all these various ways. But when you add in this hunger and health element to it, it kind of just gets straight to the, you know, are we going to leave people hungry, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then the homelessness is a part of it, but I think it's very important because not a lot of the people so far that have, have brought this up have really gone into just the health and hunger element. We've really just talked mostly about homelessness. And if you don't take care of your health and your hunger, it's easy to end up homeless. It's kind of like a chicken and an egg, yeah. Yeah. you know? This, this is a health and wellness issue. This is not a homeless, a homeless issue. This is, you know, when we, when we silo conversations around homelessness, then people can turn away and, 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 and because it doesn't affect them and they can think, this is not my issue. But when you talk about this, because the unhoused community has a massive effect on the health and wellness of everyone, including the housed community. Mm-hmm. It's, um, there was, there was a, uh, one of the speakers this morning talked about how um, she was a professional doing very well, and her husband got very, very, very sick, and her son, and they all ended up living in a car, mm. sleeping outside of his school, and it was really all health-related. Um, you know, the, the, she had to give up her job to take care of, of, of um, a husband and a, ch- a child, and it was all health-related. So I, I'm delighted that some of the larger government-funded um, departments are starting to see, you know, the Department of Mental Health, what role they can play in ending homelessness, and the Department of Health Services, what role they can play in seeing the, the, the end to homelessness. You know, watching many of the, um, the chronically homeless folks that have been on our streets for years, going in and out of, um, of our hospitals, creating huge, huge costs to, to all, and recognizing if those folks were housed, that they wouldn't need to do that. Yeah, Mary, I think you would. Yeah, hey, Allison, it's Mary. Hi, Mary. Hi. So I'm looking at your PDF, of, and you have tremendously huge, strong partners and a lot, a lot of donors. And I know, you know, people's lives cycle and things happen, and you had a big celebration event today. Can you give me an idea of, like, percentage-wise, it can be rough. How many do move into, you know, maybe permanent housing and getting help for to become more self-sustaining? Yeah, you know, this is all. This is an area for celebration and also for um, for sadness because we served. 1,300 young people walked through our doors last year, mm. and 200 of them moved safe to safety off the streets. That's not good enough. You know, that's, and, and that's because of a lack of resources. Um, you know, many more of the 1,300 do what we call self-resolve, where either they, they figured stuff out for themselves. But, you know, 200 out of 1,300, mm-hmm. and we're talking about 12 to 25-year-olds who are at the, at, the, at the beginning of their lives and have, you know, enormous, um, wonderful attributes to give to society and to, to, to contribute to society. And just because of a lack of resources and a, and a breakdown of a system, they just can't, they can't progress. Mm-hmm. 
Let, let me ask you this. So just just so I'm clear here, in in your in, in the years that you've been doing this, and obviously having thousands of conversations over the years with the, with the homeless youth, uh, how? Because I always part of what we're trying to do here in the series is I, I don't. We can do our best to address the the symptoms, mm, but what if we can address the disease? Meaning. From the standpoint of what if we can identify what is that precursor to becoming homeless, right? There, there's something that happens, especially with the youth. And I know sometimes, and having read up on, on what you do there, I mean, sometimes there, there's fights with family. Um, sometimes they get kicked out of the house. Um, sometimes they just feel like, you know, they're old enough and they can make it on their own and they get out of the real world and then their pride kicks in and they can't, you know, they don't want to call back to their family. And then there's abuse and i mean there's there's so many different reasons why people end up especially the youth end up on the streets god is there is there something that you were seeing i mean i know you've identified these four or five different areas as, as a common thread that 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 ties so many of them together but is there something that you're seeing as the most common thread and then is there a way to do something where we can help them before that happens like i'm that's what i'm trying to figure out is what is that everybody's born into a family especially when you're dealing with the youth right i mean some they're born into a family i mean some i guess get abandoned at fire you know houses and left on the doorstep but very few you know babies as that happen to so you're born into a family you're there you're being raised you have a support system albeit it's sometimes it's um, not an idyllic situation but what can we do in that step before? What are you seeing as that common thread? So the common thread that I continuously hear and see is that all systems of all types are broken. And so whether it's from, as you've indicated, from the, the, the family system, and there are just not enough safety nets around to support families to keep them in place, you know, the, the, the prevention piece. We just have never... Um, funded enough or, or valued prevention enough as a, as a country and as a county. Um, you know, folks that are struggling um, to make ends meet in, you know, who are what we call doubled up, multiple families living in, in one apartment. And something, something has to give. And generally, it's the oldest child has to has to walk away because there just is no room for them. Most of the young people we serve identify being kicked out or thrown away or literally there just is no more room for them and that they at 18 have become an adult and they need to make it for themselves. So we hear that all the time. And then I really, really, I'm so glad that you brought up the pride. I think that the, um, the folks that have not experienced homelessness don't understand the hopelessness um, and 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 the the lack of pride and the, and the and the shame that people feel when they can't make it on their own. I have eighteen year olds who come to me all the time and say, "Well, I should be able to do this." Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I should, and and they feel so ashamed that they can't do it. And where, while most of the housed young people who are in our community couldn't do it at all without the help of natural supports, whether it's family members, 
or just good friends. You know, we, we all need support and help. And, and these kids try and do it on their own, and they just feel so much shame. But it's, it's the, the foster care system, a very large percentage of young people who um, age out of the foster care system ex- end up experiencing homelessness, the mm. very safety net that is, is meant to protect the most vulnerable of um, children in our community, mm-hmm. and they fail our young people over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. There's just not enough investment in, in, in the foster care system. So I just see it as, a, as a, a failure of system, and if you're talking about solutions to that, then it's, it's investment. It's investment in making sure that we as a community, as a whole community in a country, take very seriously uh, our responsibility to take care of all children, regardless of, of, of their background, where they're coming from, that it is our responsibility, a responsibility to take care of those children. And when they're having challenging times, that, that there are enough resources from, from the community to, to be able to, to um, support them. What, is, what does that look like, though? I mean, I just want to make sure I'm clear on this, because Safe Place for Youth, just, just so everybody is clear, you guys actually provide housing, you provide, I'm just, and, and, you're, and thank you for the efforts and the, and the work that you're doing here, but just so that folks are clear, what, the name of the organization is Safe Place for Youth, but specifically, what does that mean? Because I think you are providing solutions, you just need more of these, these solution uh, places, if you will, right? So just, I want folks to understand exactly what you guys are, are doing. Right. So I think to kind of create um, a, a, a picture of what we're doing is to really go back to the um, underpinnings of, our, of who we are. And who we are is we are a community-based organization which is uh, now has a, a fully hired staff of professionals who can um, work with young people um, to, to address the trauma that they've experienced. But it, the underpinning of the organization is the hundreds of volunteers that um, assist us and enable us to provide really robust services in a one-stop shop-like atmosphere. So we have a location in Venice Beach, and that's our day services. So we have young people. We can have up to 100 young people a day coming through our space who are looking for basic services, basic needs like food and showers and hygiene and clothing. And then at the same time, once they've addressed those basic needs, can meet with a case manager a counsellor, our education employment folks, and then do some of our wonderful healing arts um, uh, classes. And then we are delighted to share that we're actually just launching our first um, housing programs called Roots to Grow in partnership with Venice Community Housing. So um, by the end of this year, we'll have launched 20 beds of transitional housing. Mm -hmm. Up until now, we have not been able to have any housing. It's Part of the big challenge, and I'm sure you've been talking about this um, during this process of talking about homelessness, is citing any services. You know, the, the pushback from, um, especially on the west side, we, you know, we're, we have a very gentrified area, and, um, and it's very difficult to cite any services. Anytime anyone tries to build additional affordable housing or low-income housing or even proposes some kind of more short-term bridge housing or otherwise known as shelter. Um, It's just shut down by the community. Nobody wants it anywhere near us. So we do have the resources 
through Triple H and H to do much more. But now the battle is with the communities to allow the awesome work of all the the community-based organizations across the county to actually do that work. Every, every time anything is um, discussed, it's shut down. So building housing, providing housing is, is really, really tricky all over the county and especially on the west side. But, yeah. but we're delighted to launch our two housing programs um, at the end of this year. So we'll be doing more. Good. Good. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, it's, it, it really is an interesting question, too. I mean, we've, we've had conversations with folks who've actually uh, gone out into the community, much like yourself, but uh, we, we've had conversations with people who actually have been homeless and lived with the homeless. And, and, and reality is they're just people, right? I mean, some, some are mentally ill. I mean, we've, we've had, uh, we, we've addressed some of that. So we know that some are mentally ill, but for the most part, you know, these are just people who were one paycheck away from ending up on the streets, and that paycheck ended up, you know, disappearing, and they ended up on the streets, right? Or, as you said, they got kicked out of their homes, or these sort of things. And I think that the whole question, if I, if I'm hearing you, and and please correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think part of the education, part of the solution here that we can look to move towards, is actually humanizing the people that are on the streets, right, and actually having the opportunity to say, these aren't bad people. You can build a, a homeless shelter next door, and they're not going to rob you blind. They're not going to beat up your dog. They're like, they're, they're humans. They are real people who just caught a bad break and now need a, a lucky break, right, so to speak. And so uh, just I wanted you just to talk about that for a second in terms of humanizing the people who are on the street, because I think that's the biggest hesitation is just fear. And not understanding that these are folks who are just like you and I, but you know, when, when given the option of choosing between right and wrong, they're going to choose doing right. And, and I think that's part of the discussion. Yeah, you know, the whole fear thing—it's um, really frustrating and unfathomable to me that somebody would be advocate so strongly to shut down any type of housing or shelter. Because of, because of the fear of it being for the homeless, when all around them there are people unhoused already who are homeless and who are potentially resorting to survival crime, you know, to, to literally just get by. And yes, there is a very small minority of uh, a criminal element on the streets, but the vast majority of folks are just trying to get by. And when we, this is a housing, it's a health and housing issue. Once we house people, they stabilize and they're able to address their mental health challenges or their addiction issues. And it's, it's just unfathomable to me that people cannot see that. I think it's just, I, I wish we could share lenses. I wish there was some way that we can use technology to share lenses because you you literally couldn't do what I do every day and listen to the stories and create the relationships with folks that are living nightmares on the streets and then shut down the opening of housing. You literally couldn't do it. Or you'd have to be inhuman. We There was a, a, an event last week where um, the mayor and Mike Bonin did a town hall around the um, a bridge to home proposal, which is 
the bridge to home um, shelters that are being opened in every community. And in Venice, we have this um, piece of land that could accommodate, you know, a large um, number of unhoused folks in our community. So we have this town hall and the overwhelming anger from people who are just so afraid of the people on their streets and the, and and that that it will how it will impact them. There was at one point somebody shouted out um, when Mike Bonin, our councilman, was trying to tell re- recite a story about somebody who was a veteran, a former veteran who now was housed, um, and they start, they shouted something like "Stop humanizing!" These it, it was unfathomable to us, and I know that. Many of the folks that were there who have experienced homelessness and work with the homeless were literally traumatized. It took me days to get over it. The, just the anger and the fear and that, it, that, is, that it, the opposition ha- is stirring up. It's, um, yeah, I mean, these, these kids are just like our kids and our grandkids and our uh, nieces and nephews. And they just, yeah, they just had a, a, doubt, a really, really poor hand and now need us as their community to step up and do something. Yeah. Wade, I think you, uh, you've been patiently waiting. Yeah, well, I, I just I want to get your input on something, but I want to throw in some context. What I've been trying to add to the conversation is history, right? Mm-hmm. And there is a large group of people that um, are very, let's say, independent-minded, And they're the ones that I think get really upset because why are you helping these people? They've got to learn to be independent-minded, right? And what I'm trying to bring to the conversation is the recognition that all this is a result of industrialization. This isn't the government choosing to be a nanny state. This is industrialization broke up the agrarian extended family that used to provide all of these support services and pulled the nuclear family into the city and now needs to recognize, as a society, we've got to replace these support services. Grandma's no longer there to babysit the kids, Mm -hmm. right? So we've got all these people that don't understand this is a result of industrialization that society needs to step up and take some actions for. And until they realize that, again, they're going to think you're just enabling weak-minded people. Yeah. So I wanted to first throw in a comment and then ask you kind of a question. But it seems to me that the people on the street are more worried about being victimized than they are about being a criminal. And people don't necessarily appreciate that. And then the question is, since you deal with youth and Steve's going, okay, root problem, root problem, root problem. And I pose that part of that is we've got a bunch of adults that don't know how to be parents because there was never the social structure of the grandparents giving them guidance, and society didn't teach them how to be parent. And, oh, by the way, why are you worrying about being parent? We need you at work. And, oh, by the way, you need to work a time-and-a-half shift tonight, right? And so how much of a need do you see for parental training so they know how to deal with their kids so they don't get frustrated and the kid gets a, end up on the street? Yeah, that's where the prevention work comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, having having spaces and places for community to commune together, to kind of share resources and enrich each other's lives. It's, you know, the thing, you talk about history. 
and 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 the and the aggression the, aggre- the the aggression that is directed towards our elected officials now for the the mess that we're in. This took decades to get where we are now, decades of of neglect on every single level from a community member to the highest elected elected officials people have turned a blind eye and we're in a unique period of time where there are some folks really majorly stepping up and putting their neck on the line and saying enough is enough it's long overdue (laughs) but it is time to do it and i think that you know we do have to look to history here and you know philosophically who do we want to be? That's what I ask. Who, what, I can sleep at night because I stepped up and did something, and I provide a space for others to do that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all I do now. My job is providing the space for others to step up. Mm-hmm. And, and it's time that everybody did that so that they can sleep at night. If, you, if the, the listeners could understand the unbelievable stories that these kids tell us, that how, how much they are victims to the streets. It is shocking. And, and you, you can't not do this work when you hear that. That keeps us driving forward because this work is tough. Um, you know, the burnout of the folks that actually do it day, day on day in is, is, is really through the roof. And so, but we need everybody to get involved. My, my whole... My whole thing is, look at me. When I, when I launched a Safe Place for Youth almost seven years ago, I didn't even know how to send a group email. Mm-hmm. And now I run a large organization that's helping hundreds of young people. And, and if I can do that, then everybody has something to give. So, yeah, yeah just yeah. Get, step up and be part of the solution. But, yeah, history plays a very large part in this. And, and how we philosophically think about who we are as a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Richie? Yeah. yeah, I was going to kind of come back to your point earlier about prevention. Everything kind of comes back down to that, right? From basic health, just people who don't even end up on the street. How much from planning for your retirement to you name it. So across the board, when you look at the stats on, you know, what is it, $1,100 on average people have for retirement. It's just crazy low. Yeah. So it seems like, the combination, we're talking about community and does the home stay together, whether it's kind of going with Wade and saying the family unit's kind of broken down since industrialism and, and or, um, let's just say, abuse in the home or whatever. If we think of it from the preventative standpoint, what do you see, well, and community, um, what do you see that we could do to help people feel closer and humanize early on? Because I'd imagine some of these kids probably feel more at home with their other people that are on the street than they do with their families. So what can we do from a building a community in prevention earlier so we don't have to only, I mean, look, I, we still got to do what we got to do with the homeless and health, and I, I get that. But I'm trying to be as proactive as possible. I hear it in your voice. I want to help. I've talked to a ton of people, and it's so sad to me to, to literally, they feel more confident and secure sharing with another homeless person than they do with someone who's not homeless. I think it's all about, all about poverty. You know, we've, we, we accept such crazy disparity, disparities between 
those that have and those that have not. And and if we committed to doing whatever is needed to reduce poverty by whether that's by becoming a mentor to a young person who is struggling to stay in school because their family is living in poverty or a member of their family is in jail, you know, to to making sure that we really value food banks, you know, and take the shame away that when people are um, some struggling to make ends meet, that those basic resources are easily um, att- att- um, uh, being able to to access. It's it's about kind of recognizing those things. I think there's just uh, there's something about people not wanting to ask for help or by being something by being less than because they need help. So I think it's it's looking at you know how what we find acceptable um, around poverty because poverty leads to homelessness mm-hmm. and and ends up costing us as a society a tremendous amount on every level for sure. by financially by through criminally through health it's so it's it's really about looking at the the root causes of poverty and you know and and how we connect and interact as humans you know and i see people walk past homeless people and literally ignore them like they yeah. are nothing and whenever we survey the young people we serve they always say if, if people just noticed us even that would be better than the than nothing but they just feel like they are invisible mm-hmm. let me ask you this so you know it's interesting on on one hand you're uh, i don't want to say kicking yourself or kind of down around the the you know the fact that you've only helped 200 out of the 1300 people uh the youth that have come through uh you know your your facilities there and, and on the other hand i'm thinking my god you've helped 200 youth get off the street like that's that's unbelievable that's that's amazing that's a huge number so i mean first and foremost i mean you should be applauded and revered for taking 200 kids off the street so i hope you recognize the work that you're doing uh is incredibly powerful and whether it's you know, 200 or 1,300, I mean, 200 is a huge number. So uh, just from our perspective, and I know it gets kind of hard when you're sitting in the middle of it to really appreciate what you're doing, but from an outside perspective, just know, please know that the the work you're doing is uh, is amazing. And th- let me just kind of give you the uh, the magic wand here. And, and so if Allison has the magic wand and you could you know, have a wish for something to happen – that would address and potentially alleviate uh, a lot of these issues around homelessness, especially with the with the youth that you and your organization works with. What would you do with that magic wand? What what could change this for you? I think it's a couple of things. I think that if I could have a magic wand, I would make sure that there was a safe place for people, for young people, specifically tailored to their unique developmental needs for them to land. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes time to build relationships. You're not, we're not walking up to young people and saying, hey, come and get help, and they're going, yes, 
Thank you. It is a relationship building. So having the space and valuing those spaces, those golden spaces where people, young people can come, be themselves, be accepted for who they are and where they're at. And I would have one of those spaces, multiple of those spaces in every region of this county. Mm-hmm. And what, uh, what, what does that space look like? I, I just want to make sure that we're clear on being able to draw that picture. Like what, what is it? Is it a 2,000 square foot a, a building? Is it, is, it a, is it a multi-story? Like I just want to make, like if we can draw the picture for folks, we can start to you know, potentially work towards some of these solutions for you. So what, what does that look like? What does that uh, ideal facility look like? I think it looks different depending on the community. So it could be, you know, depending on the number of unhoused folks or young people who are struggling, it would look different. But a, a, a general space where, you know, you can get basic survival services. You know, the vast majority of the folks that we have in our county are unhoused, literally sleeping on the streets. So they need everything from, you know, access to food. None of us can even think about getting into the heart and the head of what we need to do next Mm -hmm. if we're hungry. Mm -hmm. So just valuing basic services. You know, historically, the the pendulum swung swung away from um, supportive services, from basic needs, because I think the the perception was that, you know, the unhoused community became over-dependent on those basic needs, and it swung away all the way to Housing First, which was all about housing. And now we're recognizing we need it all. We need these safe spaces for folks to land and be welcomed and be assessed mm-hmm. for, the, for the, the, the resources that are available. So having that space to land. And then we need more housing of every type. We need crisis housing, which could mean that a place for somebody to stay until we've identified a relative or a, you know, a family member or a friend that they can return home to. We do a tremendous amount of what we call reunification. We're talking with people from across the country and, and reunifying them with their, with their family members. But in the period of time that that takes to process, that young person is still on the streets you know, and their life is endangered. We've hundreds of people died on the streets. I think it was the numbers 800 people died last year on the streets of L.A. Mm-hmm. And, and so we need that crisis housing and we need the more longer term bridge housing. Um, so it's not a simple magic wand. I wish it was. But we need bridge housing where folks can stay for a few months until we find more permanent housing resources. And then we need the, per- the permanent. And we need, the, you know, I go back to the prevention all the time. If the folks that are precariously housed and who are struggling to end to have meet meet their their their, their rent, if we can just provide some form of rent support, or you know, here's the free healthcare. People had free healthcare. They would they would not resort. They would not have to use money that they that they they for their for their housing for their healthcare. What one of the um, the woman that spoke this morning about living in her car with, with both of her, her husband and her son because of their health care needs, it's, it's ludicrous yeah, it is. When, when there's a simple solution to that. Yeah, it, it really is a shame when people have to choose between basic human dignity type of, of services and needs. And, and I, I can't believe we live in a country 
I, I still, it just, it befuddles me every single day that we live in a country where you literally have to choose between paying your rent and taking care of someone who is ill. It, it just, it kills me. Yeah. Look, I, I want to do this. I want to just, Richie, yeah, you're jumping on your chair. Sorry. Yeah. I just had a quick question because in the comments there, I keep flashing back to school, but I could see why school would not want to participate in some of this, right? You have these kids that are having problems at home, the teacher's trying to make it a safe place for all the kids, but you know they're spotting something with this one particular kid. I'm making a hypothetical here, right? What can what do schools do? How do they handle it? Like maybe this kid is getting beaten up at home and they're about to run away. Like that's a touchy one, right? Like do they even get involved much with that? But they have to see stuff coming. Oh yeah, the school systems see a lot. And um, there was a study done a few years ago by um, uh, Professor Eric Rice from USC around um, what the real data is around um, homelessness and young people who are in school of all ages. And the numbers were by, like, blew away the point in time homeless count numbers. They were absolutely huge. So the schools absolutely are a, a place where prevention could come into play. Again, massively under-resourced. Every school district is meant to have a homeless liaison. They're stretched beyond their, you know, maximum at all levels. So there's just school absolutely is a place if they if if they were better resourced could look at um, working and making sure that when families are, are looking a, a, a little wobbly that they that they can point them in the right direction for um, for supportive services prevent prevention supportive services to keep them in school yeah and in housing all right look before we before we let you go here uh, you actually are closing out this this first series that we're doing on on homelessness and really do appreciate <clears throat> you taking the time to join us here any any last thoughts any last ideas in, in terms of how we can potentially address the the problems, the, the, the disease versus the symptoms, or anything that just kind of encapsulates your thinking around uh, what we're dealing with now in, in terms of the homeless? Yeah, I, you know, this doing this work has absolutely changed my life. And I urge other community members to just go and volunteer somewhere, a shelter, at a local provider, you know, somebody who's helping folks like Chrysalis who are helping folks to get jobs somewhere. Go whatever your flavor is, because we've all got skill sets and, and, and approaches to, to, to work that we can share, you know, and share a little bit of our resources because it will make you feel so much more empowered. Because mm-hmm. I hear that over and over again, that people feel powerless because the situation is so vast. And really, the power is within us. And SPY, Safe Place for Youth, has proven that. We're a community-based organization, and we we make stuff happen, and we change people's lives. And and it's mostly community members, and we have this awesome team of, of, of paid employees who lead the way, but it's our community members that, that, that fund us and volunteer and bring in the gift in kind because there's, n- there's no way we could do what we do without. So I urge you to step up and become part of the solution. That's, that's my, um, you know, and once you speak with, with our unhoused neighbors, you couldn't possibly be afraid anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If people want to get involved with your organization, Safe Place for Youth, where should they go, Allison? Uh, what should they do? How can they help? 
they could go to our website, safeplaceforyouth.org. We have a volunteer page, and you can come and do an orientation and find out about all the different um, opportunities we we actually just, it's ironically, I was a garden designer, and we literally just launched a garden, a community garden, which is going to be a food insecurity and workforce development program, but it's mm-hmm. right in the heart of Venice. We need as much support as we possibly can. But, you know, in whatever community you live in, just fight. There's, organ, there's amazing organizations everywhere fighting this battle and just step up and get involved with whoever. But go to our website, come, give us money, volunteer, yeah. come, and, come, and, come and mentor one of our kids. We have, we have this, we launched a program last year um, as a pilot called Host Homes, and where we literally say, open up a, a spare room in your home and take a young person in as a temporary bridge housing until we find them something more permanent or return them home. And six members of our community so far have taken young people into their homes and, and, and already um, four of those young people have moved into permanent housing. Hmm. And um, it's just going to be... I have, I have such faith. I have faith in the folks in this community that really want solution and, and, and I urge everybody to step up and, 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 and be less afraid. Yeah. Alison Hurst, thank you so much for joining us here on Reinvention Radio and for all the work that you're doing with Safe Place for Youth. And uh, again, folks, go to safeplaceforyouth.org uh, to grab more information there. So, Allison, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate the invitation. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, you also. All right. Well, so, you know, it's uh, we've covered a lot of ground here on the, on the series. And, and actually, I misspoke uh, because this is not the last <laughs> the, not the last one we're doing. We actually have one more. Uh, here in the in the series, so we have a, a bit of an encore since I just ended it, and now I'm saying, hey, it's not over. We have actually one more, so an encore. Good job, uh, Bon Jovi. Yeah, I know, right? So, <laughs> so next week uh, we will continue the discussion here around reinventing homelessness. But I don't know why. Why does this one feel so different? Because it's kids? Is it like oh, the kids ones crush me? You know, I mean, not that we shouldn't have the same empathy or sympathy. For for the adults, but it just a twelve year old on the, she works with kids that are t- between twelve and twenty five. And is it really that it's kids, or is it that we're just stacking on the fourth week now, and you're realizing that it's not just this thing called homelessness? There's all kinds of things involved with it. There's mm-hmm. the lack of food. There's the lack of support. There's of course it's kids, right? I'm not trying to take a lie yeah. away, yeah. but you know this could be you're feeling more because it's all stacking on top of each other. This is now the fourth week of Man, it's not just a bunch of lazy people. Yeah, right. Like this, there's oh, a I lot of stuff going on, and I we don't we think know it's lazy. This. No, no. Yeah, I'm being sarcastic when I said like. But that's there are some what, people who there are some people, people who think that. Perception. Yeah. There's I mean, that's a the same lot thing, of same thing with welfare. Same thing with poverty. You've got the people who just are out there thinking that oh, they can just go out and help themselves. They can go out and fix that. And if you give them unemployment, they're not going to go look for work. Yeah, wait, what's know. going on in food stamps? <laughs> well. um... Just, I'm, I'm sorry, Emperor Wade, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, yes. Well, see, I was going to say, there, if I was emperor, <laughs> I've got a solution. And let me just encourage everybody, go out and vote. It's critical that we vote. But be aware, if you write me in for every of the positions <laughs> from dog catcher up, that might make me emperor. Yeah, so right. I don't know, so just an option there. Yeah, but, thanks, Wade. But imagine if we did this, okay? Imagine if we had a facility that was combination health clinic, VA center, 
okay, and community resources. And whenever you get down on your luck, you can come to this place, fundamentally, at one level, bunk bed soup kitchen, right? But here's a safe place to grab some food and some place to stay. And we need to, in my opinion, enforce vagrancy laws. So is this that we're going around, we find you on the street, this is where we point you to, but now we can triage you, right? If you're really just down on your luck and had a bad break, here's the services we have for you. If you're a vagabond and just don't want to participate in society and want to camp out, great, but you can't do it in downtown. Mm -hmm. Here's where you can go do that. And then we can filter out the uh, psychologically challenged and figure out how to deal with them. And if we just have that start level of triage, and then we got to fix the causes, yeah. But at least now we've got a rational solution where, again, as a society, we're recognizing we can't ignore this. Mm-hmm. Grandma babysitting is long gone. Yeah. So if we agree we can't ignore it, here's a basic thing that if Wade was emperor, he would set up. And then we could start addressing and isolating and then bring it back to Allison's situation. <clears throat> I think that the psychologically impaired are what create most of the fear of the homeless. It's one thing to go, wow, there's a kid on the street. Let me go help him. It's another thing. Here's somebody, but if I approach them, I may discover they're insane. They grab a machete. And so... Well, that's the fear. Yeah, I I think the psychologically impaired are kind of creating a deeper issue where if we could triage it, separate it, and then go, okay, here's how we deal with these people. And now the schools don't have to worry about fixing the family. They can focus on teaching, but they've got some place to send the kids and family mm-hmm. when they mm-hmm. identify. You know what, though? There are a lot of services out there. You were just describing St. Vincent de Paul downtown. Yeah. There is permanent housing for a certain amount of time, and then they feed the homeless after the residents eat. And I applaud everything they're doing, we but just... charity isn't enough. As we found at Katrina, yeah. Katrina, they went, let the charities deal with it. And the churches and charities said, we can't deal with a multi-state hurricane. So, yes, St. Vincent de Paul's only, it's got to be the government to provide the consistency that, oh, economic downturn, we can't afford it anymore when it's most needed. Mm-hmm. So I yes. applaud them, but charity isn't sufficient because it has to be there day in, day out, 24-7, and 10 years in the future. And government's the only entity that can assure that. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I'd like to... Power to the people. Yeah, power to the people for sure. But that, I'd like to say that there is one simple solution here. And, and, of course, if Emperor Wade was in charge, then maybe there would be. But reality is it's a very complex issue there are so many sides of the story and our goal here on this series of reinventing homelessness is to bring you as many sides of the discussion as we possibly can so we will continue the discussion in part five of our series on homelessness next week here on reinvention radio for mary goulet and rich yote and emperor wade i'm steve olsher we'll talk to you next time You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit ReinventionRadio.com. 
Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.